Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are into the final week before the big dance. We are inching ever so close to the magical tournament in March, and BetOnline has you covered with all the latest odds, totals, and props for basketball season. Head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and get your 50% welcome bonus using our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, BetOnline, where the game starts. Oh yeah, everybody. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into the Memes of the Weekend podcast here on the Take It Easy podcast and available on YouTube. What's up, YouTube people? We've got a fun show planned for you today. Every single Monday, we come at you with the Memes of the Weekend podcast, which is usually just a way to recap everything that happened while we were off the air. Usually, it's better on a football Monday. Sometimes, it's got some fun things you can point out, but now we get to do Memes of the Weekend for everything going on in the widest world of sports. We also have an interview today with Matt Holder. He writes... For the Vegas Raiders, for SB Nation, we talked to him. He also does draft stuff for the Draft Network, NFL stuff, all good and well. Uh, we're not going to do franchise tag deadline stuff this year because that pissed me off when we did it last year when we were running out of content to throw at you. So we're going to laugh a little bit here, and then we're going to have fun with Matt a little bit later. I'm a little more serious than a Memes of the Weekend podcast, but Memes of the Weekend is just a way for me to the same podcast, but talk about stories that I find interesting and just brand it as memes of the weekend, taking you behind the scenes while I whisper for some reason. Anyways, let's start off by talking about two things that happened on Saturday and one thing that ended up happening on Sunday that we'll get to in a second, but we start with The Duke Blue Devils and coach Mike Krzyzewski's final home game at Cameron Indoor that I am being told that a lot of people watched, but ultimately I don't really hear very many people talking about college basketball, except for the people who really, really like college basketball, like our friend Razor Rosenthal, who will be on the show tomorrow to cover anything and everything that happened in March Madness as we go into champ week. So what ended up happening is... Coach K, with the number four team in the country, played his final home game against North Carolina. The ACC schedule makers did this intentionally. Um, The North Carolina team had Hubert Davis as their head coach, and they were a bubble team before beating Duke last week. They're going to be a eight or a nine seed in the tournament for the second year in a row as North Carolina, the bluest of blue blood college basketball programs where Roy Williams wins a championship at Kansas and comes back home to North Carolina and they win multiple national championships. One of the great coaches in the history of college basketball revives a blue blood program. Uh, Yeah, that North Carolina team missed a tournament season got canceled because of uh, COVID 
seven seed in turn or eight seed in the tournament last year bounced in the first round this year they're going to be an eight or nine seed but that same team beat duke in what many people were calling the biggest funniest win in the history of north carolina basketball because coach k was pissed at the end of that the difference between roy williams and coach k's retirements are actually pretty fascinating and we talked about this a whole bunch last year when we were really into college basketball in March and April, which we're getting to that point where we're going to get really into college basketball once the tournament starts and everyone starts caring about it a little bit more. But one of the things that was interesting was Roy Williams just like up and left one day. He just decided, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to walk away. The landscape of college basketball is changing. Roy Williams was the guy who in an era of one and done would recruit people three, four years, and they would win championships as seniors or juniors. Luke May to uh, Barry, I forgot his, his first name, but he was the star player on the championship team, Justin Jackson on down. And one of the things that was interesting is that North Carolina as a program started fading because they didn't compete well in the transfer portal era. And when the transfer portal era started kicking in and players could start moving back and forth, then they started doing the one and done strategy where they would get Cole Anthony in the door and they would get Nasir Little in the door. They tried to do the one and done strategy with like top 10 prospects at the very end. And it just didn't work out the way that they had hoped it would. And so North Carolina has Roy Williams just one day say, you know what? I'm retired now. And Hubert Davis, you're going to be the coach and no one wants to be the guy who replaces the guy. And Hubert Davis will probably get fired and they'll end up replacing him with, uh, I don't know, some big hotshot coaching candidate like uh, what's the name of the guy at Oklahoma? Oh, Porter Mosier. That's right. Who was Porter Mosier? Porter Mosier was the coach at Loyola Chicago. Sister Jean School, as I'm sure Razor will talk about on Monday. Sister Jean made it to the tournament when they were a four seed in their conference tournament. Sister Jean made the title run in Arch Madness this weekend. Did I watch a single second of the tournament? No, I did not. Would I normally have watched it? Yes. When I was a child who thought that sports were the only thing that mattered in the entire world because that was the only exposure I had as a sheltered child. Yes. All right. Let's put a pause in the Duke, North Carolina thing. I do want to do a quick tangent here on the uh, the Loyola Chicago thing. Loyola Chicago was a super fun story when they went to the final four back in 2018. Which is four years ago, by the way. Like, it's shocking to me now thinking how different my life is four years later. We're a full generation of college basketball players removed from that Loyola Chicago run that was the Cinderella of all Cinderellas. It happens every seven years or ten years where if you think of Cinderella's first off the top of your head, it's George Mason, it's VCU, and it's Loyola Chicago, say, of the last 20 years. Loyola Chicago is now going to the tournament for the third time since then. Like, they were maybe going to make it in 2020. They didn't, obviously. Last year made it to the Sweet 16 as an 8 seed. They upset number 1 seed Illinois. None of the players are the same. They're still in the same conference. Loyola Chicago is still in the Missouri Valley Conference. They're on their second coach, a whole new generation of players... By the way, their head coach now is Denzel Valentine's brother. Just a fun little fact to throw out there. Denzel Valentine's brother, I believe, is still in his early 30s and is the head coach 
at Loyola Chicago. Loyola is making their third tournament appearance in five years, back-to-back post the departure of Porter Mosier and post the Final Four run. They, they, so Porter Mosier was there last year when they went to the Sweet 16. He left for Oklahoma when Lon Kruger retired, and now Valentine takes them to the tournament for the first time. And I find it super fascinating because brand recognition in college basketball really doesn't matter as the West Coast Conference has more top 50 teams this year than the Pac-12 like in a changing landscape of college basketball, the Blue Bloods are still at the top, but really anyone in between can build a powerhouse college basketball program with just a tiny sliver of name recognition. It's an interesting change in our sport that's so regional now, and everyone's on TV in some shape or form that Loyola Chicago and San Diego State and programs that I like to consider smaller programs. They can compete with big-time college basketball programs because the sport has become so regional or so niche, shall I say. You know, other than the big-time programs, but even the big-time programs are in weird lull periods. So I know Loyola Chicago wouldn't have made the tournament this year without winning the conference title, but Sister Jean, 102 years old, still going to get one more run or two more runs or hopefully many, many more runs, but 98 years old. During the magical Final Four run where she captured America and had a press conference that had every single reporter when the head coach of the team had like two people at his press conference. And Sister Jean is now 102 and going to get another run in the Final Four. It's going to be so wonderful. I guess just March Madness, not the Final Four. Sister Jean's going to get a run in March Madness. Maybe they'll make a deep run and Loyola Chicago can be like VCU and turn it into becoming a college basketball powerhouse. But it's interesting how one tournament run can give you name recognition like Loyola Chicago has. Loyola Chicago, also the home of Sham Sharania. Weird fun fact. Sister Jean made it to the tournament. In their first year without Porter Mosier as head coach, Porter Mosier went to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's not going to make the tournament. But if he turns that program around, he can go coach at the University of North Carolina as the bluest of blue blood programs, try and find that turnaround. So Roy Williams just decided one day to up and retire. Coach K, he wanted the retirement tour. Coach K wanted every building to applaud him and cheer for him. And at the final game, have boosters bow before him as if he were a god or a prince in the, in the, uh, in the Egyptian or Roman eras, or one of those old-timey, like, supreme deity figures, and have millionaires at the University of Duke just kiss at the feet of this great man who won five championships across 40 years of college basketball, but also kind of faded to the background for the last couple of years as the Duke program missed the tournament last year and didn't make the tournament in 2020 because of the COVID season. Fun fact, Duke has not played a tournament game since Zion Williamson played at the school since that magical Zion RJ Barrett Cam Reddish season, which was the last big national push of the Duke blue devils and college basketball of having a star bigger than the sport or a team bigger than the sport in a sport that's entirely regional. Now like college basketball for years and years has been regional as last year's final four records, the lowest ratings in the history of, of college basketball on 
television. And this, by the way, was a final four that had UCLA Gonzaga with one of the games of the year. Like only good games draw in ratings to March Madness now where the final four, I believe the the Houston and uh, Houston and Baylor game that was a blowout lowest rated final four game ever in the history of the final four. And so as this sport becomes increasingly regional, but they still have gigantic television contracts and they recover from a 2020 where they just didn't have a tournament and everything was fine and the world moved on and we already don't like the NCAA and it's better to not give the NCAA your money during March Madness. All of that to say that March Madness and Duke are the two things that transcend the sport and Duke in 2019 was the one storyline of a team and more specifically a player that transcended the sport. And Coach K also is one of those coaches that is bigger than the sport as Coach K is the Team USA person for, for um, you know, coaching dream team and redeem or sorry, coaching redeem team and gold medal team in 2016 and gold medal team in 2012. You know, Coach K went through that process of being the premier coach of any like the premier leader we associate with basketball, you know, Greg Popovich over here, be that guy. Uh, NBA coaches aren't necessarily viewed as the same, you know, as Eric Spolstra is a top 15 coach of all time. And it's hard to find 15 great coaches in the history of the NBA. Coach K represents leadership in that sport. And Coach K wanted the retirement tour. And it was incredibly, incredibly funny to see the frustration at the end, not because of any like atomist towards Coach K, just that it was incredibly, incredibly funny to see a man who wanted the retirement tour lose at the end and just 41 years of crusty old guy coaching just came out in one FU moment at the very end where Coach K was just, you know, calling using his, his post-game press conference as a way to motivate his team for when they get to March Madness. Because Duke is not probably not good enough to win the national championship. Whichever team is good enough to win a national championship is difficult in college basketball because the tournament is just such a random crapshoot at times. But even still, to lose that game, your last home game at Cameron Indoor, when I saw that a ticket sold for like $80,000 to that game, it's just a rough little ending for Duke in that tiny little pot of North Carolina with a whitewashed school that ends up having their coach who wanted the magical retirement tour at the end lose to his worst ever rival. And as for North Carolina, you get to take that one to the bank forever in your weird little pot of college basketball. You get to take that win to the bank for 10, 20 years. When you do the 20, 20 mile drive over to Durham, or when they make the drive over to Chapel Hill, because again, Duke and North Carolina are like driving distance from each other. You get to put that in the bank at the barbershop or whatever college basketball niche does in North Carolina. You get to hang on to that for a long ass time. And Hubert Davis might end up getting fired in three years at North Carolina because a lot of the same things we talked about in the NFL of the black guy just gets the job that no one necessarily wants to be in a position or the extreme pressure of filling the hole left by Roy Williams. Hubert Davis gets to fill that hole. And in a sport that also has a bad job of hiring black coaches, 
you're going to see Hubert Davis probably get fired sometime in the next three years. We called it last year. It's probably going to happen as North Carolina is unranked and an eight seed in a weak ACC. But Hubert Davis gets to hold on to that one. And those players, for whatever the money is worth, get to hold on to that one in the pride and lore of Tar Heel basketball. All right. So the next thing I wanted to talk about real quick was the UFC fight yesterday, which I didn't watch, but I did watch the, the Lebetard show watch party for it. Shout out to Juju Gotti or AKA Julio Gotti and Izzy Gutierrez and Chris Cody and the, the band of misfits over there on the Lebetard show. It was a fun little watch party, but I heard that uh, ESPN Plus's services went down for 45 seconds in the middle of the Col- Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal fight. And I don't think this is the first time that's ever happened to the UFC but I find it incredibly funny that it just keeps happening over and over again in that sport, which has a slightly lower production quality than many things ESPN has. Like UFC is trying to like build a plane in the sky for the Disney company. And when the pandemic happened, they were the sport that rushed into the breach and said, we will put on giant events because this is a chance to grow our sport. Pandemic be damned, morals be damned. We have a chance to grow our sport, which in the UFC, you know, we ask all the time, like, do we want corporations like the NFL or the NBA or MLB to have a moral conscience? And the thing we always say to that is ideally we'd like them to have a moral conscience, but it's hard to expect them to practically have a moral conscience when their priorities are not morals. They Their priorities are bottom line and financials and Morals come into play when it affects the bottom line, which is why Dan Snyder says for 15 years, we will never change the name from the Washington racial slurs. And then when corporate sponsors get in the way and threaten to pull money, Dan Snyder says, we are changing the name of the Washington racial slurs after much consideration. And then they sell commander's jerseys that are the highest sold jerseys on fanatics for five days in the aftermath of the jersey drop, which is still one of the most offensive things you could find NFL fans doing with their money is just not giving a shit about moral obligations and things of those sorts. But anyways, bringing it back to the UFC fight, the UFC during the pandemic went into the breach and said, we will give you all of your UFC content on Fight Island, or as John Oliver calls it, UFC. Uh, The UFC went into the breach and tried to be the sport that got the Disney company money. And Dana White has a good repertoire with ESPN at this point. And ESPN puts on these fights, but they're just slightly less of a production quality than what has come to expect of ESPN. Because the UFC is still, as much as it's, a, I think, a $9.4 billion company or $4 billion that was sold like a couple of years ago from the Fertitas, as, as big as the UFC is, the UFC is still a little bit of a plain building in the sky. Mixed martial arts, much like college basketball, is, is a bit of a niche sport. And when the NFL concludes and when the NBA is in a boring regular season period where everyone rushes to talk about the Lakers or talk about Joel Embiid instead of talking about, a, I don't know, playoff series, I don't know, whatever. That's the NBA is in kind of a boring period right now where if you really want to watch the games or Jason Tatum putting up 54 points and seriously analyzing regular season basketball, uh, which we stopped doing after 2020, we stopped seriously analyzing regular season basketball because it just doesn't matter at all. Um, Once you go through that process, 
and you have uh, once once you go through the the NFL season ending and the NBA kind of being in a dull period before the playoffs, niche sports do kind of take effect. And so it's an opportunity for the UFC to put a big fight on a weekend when no one's there. It's college basketball's chance to captivate people looking for sports. Or you can do what I've done now, which is instead of drawing into the niche sports, you can talk about the niche sports that you know, but also not watch sports, do things other than sports, have perspective and balance in life. It's okay. I didn't watch any sports this weekend. I didn't watch LeBron's 56-point game. I didn't watch Jason Tatum's 54-point game. I didn't watch college basketball like I would this weekend every year. I wanted to have a life, and that's okay. But anyways, niche sports kind of take effect here. And so UFC had a big opportunity that weekend, and I found it incredibly funny that the, well, first of all, the racist Colby Covington fighting Jorge Masvidal by coming out with an American flag to fight Masvidal, who's a Cuban-American and also right-wing Cuban-American versus Colby Covington, who's just straight racist Trump guy. You have that going on, but also in the middle of their fight, just having the entire broadcast fade out because they had technical difficulties and they hit you with an ESPN plus. Thank you for your patience. $60 to pay a pay-per-view card for the UFC, which by the way, you shouldn't be paying for anyways. If you're going to watch the UFC bootleg, the UFC, I know Dana White trying to crack down against it. I know bootleg streaming sites are a terrible idea because the creators of the sport don't give you money, but it is a great opportunity to watch the UFC and not give Dana White your goddamn money. Yes, it will go away from the players, but decreased revenues will force Dana White to potentially pay his fighters more. And then if you make a stink about it, you and many of your friends can decide to give Dana White his money back once he allows his fighters to unionize with freedom fighter Jake Paul apparently leading the brigade on Dana White needs to pay his fighters more because Dana White's exploiting his fighters kind of in a similar way that the NCAA is exploiting its labor like we talked about before. And once again, we were able to not make it through a podcast in the last week and a half without talking about labor versus management in sports. We did it last week with Kyler Murray. We did it last week with the the MLB lockout twice on the podcast. We just can't make it through the show without talking about labor versus management. We made it three days, people, or I guess we made it one day because I'm wired up yesterday. We talked about it also with Lamar Jackson. So we made it zero days, people, zero days without an accident. And that accident is talking about labor versus management and how in a capitalist society, labor is always going to continue to be exploited by management that has more power and is enabled by the US government and enabled by the structures and systems of their given industries. Unfortunately, We didn't make it an entire podcast without talking about it. But now we're going to talk about the NFL and the NFL draft and one question about the scouting combine, which apparently happened this weekend that I just don't care about at all. But we'll talk about it more with Matt Holder of the Draft Network and Las Vegas Raiders SB Nation page. I'll just feel free to drop your stuff or whatever you're working on here real quick, just so I don't forget at the end of the podcast to, to <laughs> plug your stuff. Yeah. So everyone can follow me on, on Twitter at Holder 95 um, right for silver and black pride, do some NFL draft stuff there as well. Obviously cover the Raiders there too, but yeah, that's pretty much what I, what I got going on. I appreciate that. 
do you place value on the scouting combine? I know that's the the topic of the week <laughs> this week, but I don't want to talk about people's hand sizes and 40 times and three cone drills. I, I just, uh, do you place a ton of value when you do draft scouting on the combine? Cause I know it's a mixed bag. Uh, I don't place a ton of value on it. I think for me, uh, one of the biggest things uh, that I kind of use the combine as is to kind of confirm or, or maybe, uh, maybe make you rethink what you saw on tape. So you know, for example, like, you know, you bring up the hand size. Kenny Pickett's obviously the hot topic of the day. Um, you know, if I was looking at Kenny Pickett, which I haven't been because the Raiders are in a, in a decent quarterback spot, um, then, uh, you know, I'd, I'd want to go back and, like, make sure he has all the all the um, stuff for as far as ball security in the pocket um, uh, to basically confirm that his hand size isn't going to be an issue. But, yeah, that's kind of – that's the kind of way I use it is uh, – I use it as kind of a measuring stick to kind of see if uh, what I saw in film matches or if I need to go back and look or anything like that. Okay, that makes sense for sure. I, I understand the the evaluation of, you know, just I, I hear this a lot, actually, with people where they're like, it's not the end all be all, but it is information that, you know, teams maybe don't have access to because uh, agents technically don't have to give medical records to, <laughs> to teams, which is something I kind of forgot about until semi recently. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess teams can withhold medical records and information from teams if they don't want them to draft a certain player. So I guess it does make it easier for people. Exactly. And I mean, from that perspective too, from the team's perspective, the, you'll hear this all the time, the, the interviews and the, the actual position drills that aren't measured are, are really the, the nuts and bolts of the combine where they get the most value of it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking too, is people only get so much out of it. And then 40 yard dash times are fun <laughs> to watch on television we've made the NFL combine a televised event. Definitely. Definitely. So from the Raiders standpoint, I know they're not the the hot topic right now, unless I wanted to do Devonte Adams talk. And uh, (laughs) I'm not necessarily interested in doing that from a Raiders standpoint, because I don't think Devonte Adams is necessarily on the move, but um, what is going on in Raider land other than we've got a new coach and we're content to just keep rolling out with Derek Carr. The same thing that ends up happening like every, every two or three years when talking about the Raiders. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you kind of just summed up all of Raiders Twitter for the last like two uh, two months or so, pretty much. Is, is it's uh, who's going to be the coach? Uh, we obviously know that now, and the staff's starting to take form. Um, and then is Derek Carr going to be the starting quarterback next year? It likes to be a, I guess, a little round robin uh, discussion that we have every time of year at this time of year every year. So, um, I mean, definitely uh, one of the biggest things is there hasn't been a whole lot of news. I think that's partially because of uh you know the new coaching staff and they've been a little bit more focused on getting people in the building than um as far than as far as uh letting information leave it and all that good stuff and then obviously mcdaniels comes from the uh the belichick patriot tree of give the media absolutely nothing so that makes it real fun to cover the team but um you know it's kind of been quiet right now i think uh you know the biggest the biggest talk is if they're going to extend Derek carr is uh kind of a the hot button issue right now, um, you know, some people have been talking about $40 million, $45 million for, for Derek. That's a lot of money for me, um, uh, but we'll see what it is and see if uh, what his extension ends up being because McDaniels did say at the combine that they haven't completely entered talks, so we'll see how things come. But I definitely think, uh, you know, as far as you, like you talked about, Derek Carr does seem to be the guy moving forward for at least one more year. Well, here we go. I just I just checked the internet real quick. I was doing a podcast before this, full disclaimer, but we have a report from The Athletic that there is widespread belief Aaron Rodgers will return to the Green Bay Packers in 2022, <laughs> which is uh, the, the thing we've been waiting on for three weeks. Now we have yeah. 
semi-confirmed notes that Aaron Rodgers will probably be back with the Packers. So <laughs> Matt Holder, can, uh, <laughs> first time on the podcast, we get to semi-break news. I know it's not an official declaration, but <laughs> with news that Aaron Rodgers is likely to return to the Packers, what is your reaction? <laughs> I mean, it, I, I can't say I didn't um, didn't see it coming. I kind of, I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I don't know how you guys feel um, or how your listeners feel about Aaron Rodgers. I've kind of become very annoyed with the guy for the last, you know, 365 days. He clearly just just likes the attention. Clearly drew this out to me to the whole, to make the whole media circus and make the whole dead period about him a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm just hoping that this uh, this all finally comes to a head soon, and uh, hopefully we get an official statement. You know, as far as my concern, my biggest thing about that um, coming back is obviously that takes a quarterback off the market for Raider fans to to fantasize about. And then, uh, you know, the, it does seem like Aaron Rodgers was that first clog. And, you know, like you were talking about that, Devontae Adams staying or leaving. So another guy that uh, the Raider fans have been interested in, I've definitely been interested in keeping my tabs on the situation from that standpoint. So good to know. Yeah. And the Rodgers situation was interesting because you're right. It has kind of dragged out in an interesting, like heel turn for Aaron Rodgers over the last 365 days, even though, I think I think the the contract negotiation stuff was unfair to him. I think the anti-vax slash being the uh, well, I guess I don't know if the the ending of his marriage is more anything that's like going to make a heel turn for him. I guess people who really like Shane Wood Shane Shalene Woodley. I don't know. I believe it is Shalene Shalene. Shalane Woodley. I don't know who that person is, except for that they were apparently they they were like a, a child actress or something. But I, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I, I felt like that kind of was a heel turn against him for sure. I I thought that the whole point of it was that he didn't like he was not necessarily making the best football decision. It was more just like I guess a power move because I know when he was connected to the Raiders and the Broncos as teams, I was like, well, those teams aren't like anywhere close to as good as the Packers, but Aaron Rodgers would have more power within those organizations. So I guess, I I guess it ended up being in the end about football because of course the Packers were always the best football decision. I just had been saying the whole time, I don't know Aaron Rodgers. So I don't know what Aaron Rodgers values or prioritizes. Yeah. I mean, I I felt like uh, when he did had that whole, like, what was it? He was coming off that uh, that cleanse or whatever, and like do- doing tweeting all those like cryptic messages. I mean, just to me, it's just like that kind of stuff. To me, screams like a guy that just loves attention and then just wants and wants and is extremely smart and knows how to kind of like toy with the media and kind of get it. That's uh, was kind of my 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 take on it. My take on the whole thing, like I was talking about, just it felt like to me like this like this big uh, ego kind of like what you're talking about. This big like let me stroke my ego a little bit and uh, get some more attention for myself. Just a little bit, just a yeah. little bit. But I, I kind of get the the like wanting to have power within an organization. I guess that's, I guess, I don't know, part of the, the Aaron Rodgers story here is like he's into his 40s now and he saw the Tom Brady model, I guess, being put in front of him, which I guess was the first model. I don't know. Aaron Rodgers' career has kind of like matched Tom Brady or Peyton Manning a little bit, but he's kind of been this own weird person for a bunch of years now. And that's something I find fascinating as this comes to a head is, you know, Rogers is in a unique position because no one at his age is winning back-to-back MVPs as great as Tom Brady was. Tom Brady would never like 
one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the NFL into his 40s, except that one year they gave him an MVP and robbed it from Todd Gurley. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think with Rodgers, like kind of like you said, I feel like you know, talent for talent, he's a, he's a better quarterback than a guy like Brady. I mean, Brady probably isn't even the, the greatest as far as you know, just a pure talent standpoint of all time. But um, obviously, his pedigree, kind of in the, those seven uh, seven rings on his hand, make make it a little bit different story. But uh, I mean, yeah. Aaron Rodgers is a he's a fantastic athlete, he's a fantastic football player, and I mean that almost almost makes all the other stuff more frustrating. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That the the power grab ends up making him unlikable for yeah. the time being. Um, NFL draft wise, you know, I'm tempted to cop out and ask a quarterback question, but usually <laughs> I, I have a general rule that I try not to say or ask the obvious things on the show. Um, but I, I, I haven't done my draft research as in-depth. I like to take the opinions of you and our buddy Blake and smart people on the podcast. So I guess my cop-out is if everyone's talking about Kenny Pickett and everyone's talking about Malik Willis, then does that mean some poor team is going to jump the gun here at some point for quarterback? Or is it going to be teams at the top will be smarter about how they pick the quarterback position. So when you say jump the gun, you mean like take a quarterback early or trade it, trade up from what exactly do you mean by that? It, it can be trading pick. I'm saying the giants drafting a quarterback Are the giants going gotcha. to draft a quarterback in the top eight. <laughs> um, I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a surprise if uh, for lack of a better word or lack of a thesaurus there, but um yeah, I definitely think there can be a team that ends up, you know, making a run and kind of maybe panicking a little bit that kind of sends a, a little bit of panic away through the rest of the draft. It'll kind of be like this game of chicken, I feel like, to see who's going to be the take the first one. And then after that, I can think you can definitely see a run on the quarterbacks again, playing on that uh, that panic. But yeah, I, I honestly don't have a great pulse on the quarterback situation this year, just partially because I don't really think any of them are all that good. You know, my guy that I actually kind of like that I've liked for a while is Sam Howell. I know he didn't have as great of a year this year, but I feel like from an athleticism standpoint and a, just a pure arm talent, he's probably one of the one of the best in this class uh, overall. I think he's up there with Malik Willis. Just doesn't get as much love. Malik's probably a little bit faster. Might have a little bit stronger of an arm, but um, you know, I really like that guy coming out. I mean, as far as any sort of panic in the draft, I mean, it's 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 so up in the air. I can see it happening so many different ways. I can see this being. You know, like the, I don't even remember what year it is. I want to say 2012, 2013, when like EJ Manuel was the first quarterback in the, uh, drafted in the first round. I think he was the only one. And I mean, we all know how EJ Manuel's career ended up. So I, I definitely feel like we're staring down a class like that. And then I can also see, you know, someone like you're talking about before, like if this draft class isn't, a, isn't strong at the quarterback position and that there's so many quarterback needy teams this year and neither is the free agency class, free agency class, especially if Rodgers is staying in Green Bay is uh is not going to be great for the quarterback so i can definitely see teams starting to panic a little bit and and maybe trading up or, or drafting the guy way too early yeah i guess when i said jump the gun one of the things i was thinking about is that we kind of universally agree i mean not we like i'm doing scouting but scouting universally agrees that this is a weak quarterback class <laughs> and so if none of them are really worth being taken in the top 15 um then all of a sudden someone, because it's a quarterback needy thing, like Mac Jones, I know our draft guy last year said he was a third round grade and then he got taken with pick 15 and was almost taken in the top five. And, (laughs) you know, that was kind of the quarterback bonus of sorts. So I guess when jump the gun happens, I think of Daniel Jones or Dwayne Haskins or, 
you know, last year having a run of quarterbacks at the top of the draft, plus, you know, Mac Jones going that high when I didn't think Mac Jones was actually that good. Um, you mentioned the the quarterbacks had kind of being like a weaker pool of them this year. Like if you really want a Teddy Bridgewater, he's always available. <laughs> um, if you're a team that like doesn't, cause the Raiders are kind of on the edge of this with Carr, right? Like Carr is their franchise quarterback for a decade. But if you're one of the like 16 to 20 teams that doesn't have a, a quarterback position solidified, how would you kind of prefer to go about it? It might be a case by case basis, but I know like the Colts have tried to bring in high priced veterans with cap space and, you know, some teams draft and hope that that person becomes serviceable. And some people go to the interchangeable quarterback thing, but obviously there's what, like, 15 really good quarterbacks in the NFL (laughs) and 32 spots that need to be filled. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a tough place to play in uh, this year to not have a quarterback and be really desperate for one. Kind of the way I would do it is I would just kind of sit where I'm at and kind of uh, trust my board. You know, if, if teams like we're talking about teams start taking quarterbacks off the board, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't panic. I'd still try and get my best player available and worst case scenario, you know, I kind of, punt this season or maybe I try and get a guy like a Jimmy Garoppolo in who's, you know, a serviceable enough quarterback. That's not going to, not going to necessarily lose you a ton of games or not going to necessarily put you in a bad position, but also isn't going to win you a ton of them. Um, if that's the, really the route or just go full on tank mode and kind of punt the season and see, try your luck next year and maybe try and get a CJ Stroud or Bryce young next year. Or I don't even know what the free agent class looks like for, uh, for 2023. But um, I definitely, the biggest thing to me is like if, if you end up reaching, if you end up giving up assets um, for one of these quarterbacks in this draft, I just I feel like you're going to be sorely, uh, sorely mistaken and, sor- and sorry at the end of at the end of things. So if you can get a guy, you know, say you're picking in the in the mid teens or something like that, need a quarterback. So if you can get the guy that's on your board at that spot and um, kind of go from there and maybe put that guy on a short leash and uh, as messed up as that sound, a, a Josh Rosen esque leash, leash, if you will, where um, you know if the guy if there is an opportunity to get an upgrade at the position next year, you, you do it, then that would probably be my mode or my method of, of attacking this year is not spend money in free agency, not spend, you know, 30 million or whatever Teddy Bridgewater is going to get. Cause that's just the going rate for a, a mediocre quarterback right now, or a mediocre starting quarterback, I should say right now. And uh, just kind of sit there, let the board play out. And if you can get a guy that you're, you know, you're okay with. And again, you know, next year try and reevaluate but yeah it, it is a very tough spot for teams that need quarterbacks and i think that's why um you're seeing the guys like you know kirk cousins not even get, get really get mentioned part of it is contract too um as far as getting as far as the vikings moving on from him so if you're a team that is one of these teams that we regard as perpetually mediocre shall we say those are the teams that are probably going to end up taking quarterbacks <laughs> the teams that we regard as the poorly run franchises yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think that could be could be the case, and I also think, I mean, for them maybe too, they might be able to might be able to trade back a little bit if there's a team in the in the top end of the draft, like you know maybe a New York Giants that maybe they don't want their quarterback right away, but if they someone's still around that they like in the mid teens pick, then you'd be in a pretty good position too to to trade and reload on some assets and get more picks in the draft at least too. Uh, do you think that a team that's ready made like the Colts or Buccaneers are just kind of in an impossible situation at this point? I mean, the, the Colts are kind of just in a mess this year. It's, it's, <laughs> it is like, I, I know if people keep wanting them to move on from Carson Wentz, but I, I really look at it and I'm like, I, I don't know where they're going to get better. I mean, Carson Wentz, you know, 
I guess you could make the argument that he is the guy that can lose you the games. We have seen that. It's kind of what happened when they played the Jags last year and had the chance to make the playoffs. But I, I just, it's again, it's another situation where I don't know if any of these quarterbacks in the draft class are better than Carson Wentz. You know, who knows? They might end up being, but I wouldn't really feel confident in that saying that this year. And again, you go back and look at the free agent class. Is Teddy Bridgewater better than Carson Wentz? I mean, I'd probably take my, I'd probably roll my dice with Carson Wentz and uh, see how it goes there. And I mean, as far as the Bucks, I feel like if you're the Bucks, you kind of got to accept like, hey, we won our Super Bowl, we had our run with Tom Brady. It's uh, might be time to start thinking about the future from here moving forward. I know that's probably not their mindset, especially with Bruce Arians as the head coach. But uh, that would kind of be my strategy if I'm uh, Jason Licht right now as the GM, just kind of looking at my roster looking at who's probably going to be leaving um, in free agency as well and might want to start thinking about next year and the year beyond. So you're saying they're kind of just the Saints from last year? That's kind of they're in the, they're in the position the Saints were at when Drew Brees retired last year? That seems to be cap situations terrible. I think they're similar, but I think what I would give the, the advantage i give the Saints heading into last year is the rest of their roster was a little bit better. Like the Saints were kind of that team where it's like, okay, they just need a quarterback, right? They have a pretty good defense, had a pretty good offensive line. Um, and obviously had some pretty good weapons. Michael Thomas not being healthy kind of takes away from that. But I mean, you look at the Bucks; they're about to lose, you know, guys like I think if I want to, if I remember correctly, Shaq Barrett might be a free agent. Um, uh, Chris Godwin's, Godwin's be a free definitely agent. gone. Uh, yeah. Je- Jensen on their offensive line has been a key piece for, uh, for there is probably gone too. So they're just losing so much. Whereas the saints, I'm trying to think, I felt like other than Drew Brees last year, I don't really think they, they, they got rid of like, Quan Alexander, right? Did Quan Alexander get cut? Yeah, um, he got cut, but I think he hadn't been playing. It was partially he hadn't been playing well yeah. and had a big contract. So. Janoris Jenkins, it's not really a big loss. You're right. <laughs> they, yeah. Other than just Michael Thomas missing the season, you're right. There wasn't really much that subtracted year to year. Yeah, definitely. But now this so, year, the, the Saints are what? $75 million in the hole, so... <laughs> No, Saints are – Sean Payton left. He's like, nope, I ain't cleaning yeah, that up. We exactly. went all in. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Russell Wilson ain't walking through that door. I'm good. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm just going to – I'm going to go take this Fox money. And, you know, if if the Cardinals or Cowboys or Chargers ever fire their coach, then, then maybe <laughs> I'll take a call. Can't say I blame them. Yeah. I mean, that, those are the only ones that have, quote, unquote, generational or franchise quarterbacks that don't have a – a head coaching, you know, locked down, I guess. So maybe those are the moves there. Um, should, so our draft guy, Blake Jude, who does a bunch of stuff, he said that like the number one prospect in this year's class would have been like the number five prospect last <laughs> year. So if this is a weak draft class, does that incentivize everyone at the top to consider trading down? I mean, definitely. I mean, I think, I think if you're Jacksonville, I think you stay at one. I think, if I'm Jacksonville and I'm their general manager, I don't even know, or Trent Balky, excuse me, as uh, he became famous this past uh, off season, um, you know, I probably want to want to stay at one and make sure I get my guy to protect Trevor Lawrence. Cause I mean, that guy took a beating last year, but I think pretty much everyone else, you know, you can kind of kick around the tires of maybe trading back. And again, you know, maybe seeing if you can get one of those teams that wants the quarterback to, and uh, starts to panic. But the other thing to consider is if, uh, if you view the the top five of the draft that way, or you view the top 10 of the draft that way, there's probably other teams that view it in the same way too. So it might be hard to move back. Well, I, that's kind of where I was thinking there is the, who's a prospect that everyone really wants to get. And if they really want to get them, then wouldn't you be incentivized to take a Kyle Hamilton or a, a Hutchinson right. or, 
anyone else who might be in the top five if everyone is really aggressive to go get them. But I mean, like it worked out one time when like the Colts traded down and still got Quentin Nelson. It's like, yeah, there's a player you want, but you can still get them lower in the draft or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it could work out well for one of those teams. Um, I'm just, I'm not exactly sure how this draft is going to break <laughs> out because when a draft is controlled by the Giants and Jets and Jaguars, <laughs> I generally assume that it's just not going to go well for anyone involved. Yeah, definitely some chaos going to ensue. Definitely going to be uh, maybe some interesting story, maybe some interesting picks, I should say, uh, to start off the draft with those teams. And I mean, again, you know, a lot of ambiguity, it seems like, at the top at a lot of different positions. So I think uh, this could be one of the years where we get a surprise pick early on than we've uh, ever expected. So I wanted to ask you a Justin Fields question from last year. How how highly did you grade him, and how much has that kind of changed for you in the last year of watching the Bears try and play football? Uh, I, for me, he was quarterback two. Um, I mean, Trevor Lawrence was obviously quarterback one, as he was for excuse me, just about everybody. But, yeah, I thought really highly of Justin Fields. I still think pretty highly of him here. I thought the situation in Chicago was pretty damn bad last year for them, not to mention, you know, they have Matt Nagy who, you know, wouldn't play him at the beginning of the year and all this stuff. And I kind of got the feeling Matt Nagy wasn't a great coach. Definitely, uh, definitely felt like he was in a little bit over his head in the whole situation. And I mean, you just look at the bears offensive line. um, You know, I think they had someone, if I remember correctly, someone went down like, pretty early on they ended up bringing in Jason Peters like off the street to play left tackle for them and he ended up being their best offensive lineman but again you know the guy they brought in off the street ended up being their best offensive lineman Tevin Jenkins um, started the year off injured (laughs) then when he came back was pretty rough over there at the right tackle spot so this year was just a very hard year for me hard year to I think to put too much weight into what Justin Fields did especially the bad stuff I mean you saw the athleticism he definitely made quite a bit of wild plays, um, which he kind of had to do again because he's running for his life for a lot of times last year. But, yeah, I, I definitely still think pretty highly of him. I think the future is pretty bright for him over in Chicago. Um, but, yeah, it, it, last year was definitely a tough one, I felt like, to evaluate it with all the all the chaos going around in Chicago. Because the Bears ended up losing that first-round pick, and that was essentially like pick eight and pick 20 now, like 20 in last year's draft and – eight in this year's draft so you know it's in when you say it like that it sounds like a high price to pay but in the grand scheme of things if he hits then it's really worth it and I feel like that's kind of I was gonna ask the you know should teams trade two first round picks and that required me to ask a Justin Fields question which (laughs) broke our our rule that we weren't going to ask Justin Fields questions for the next 10 months but uh, still I (laughs) I kind of think of it like our team's incentivized to trade up and the answer is yes, if the quarterback hits and no, if the quarterback doesn't, which is obviously <laughs> like an impossible situation to evaluate going into the draft. Yeah. I mean, I, I've kind of always looked at it as obviously, you know, it's one of those decisions kind of like going forward on fourth down, you know, if, if it works, you're a genius. If it's not, if it's not, you're an idiot um, kind of deal uh, just on a much larger scale, obviously when it comes to the quarterback position. And I've always felt like, you know, it's something that, you know, in the media, you know, I'll comment on and everything, but ultimately at the end of the day, when you're in the building, when you're, um, you know, working for a team, if you feel really highly on a guy, you feel like this guy's worth it. It's such a, it's such an important position and such an important position to get right in the NFL that you almost have to do it. You have to give up the assets. You know, there's no guarantee that that other pick that the bears would have would pan out either. So for me, it's like, if you have your quarterback, if you have your guy that everybody in the building feels confident about, 
go ahead, give up those two first round picks. You know, you say the same thing with the Niners and Trey Lance last year, and obviously the Chicago and um, Chicago and Justin Fields. So I, it's just for me, it's kind of one of those things where you almost got to just live with the results and, and go with your gut kind of deal. So in the case of this year's class, is there a prospect that you really like that you want to shine a light on real quick as someone who's been doing scouting and things of those sorts? Uh, are you talking quarterback wise or just uh, position wise? Can general? be anything. Can be any position, any player that you're really enjoying right now. Um, I'll say, and I'll say this, and I, I kind of wish he wasn't getting as much love because I kind of wish he could stay my guy a little bit. But I'm going to go Christian Watson, that wide receiver out of out of uh, North Dakota State. He was a guy at the Senior Bowl that, um, you know, I, I walked into that event not knowing much about him, not knowing much about the FCS uh, as a whole. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm seeing this green helmet fly down the field and beating all these D1 guys, these guys from Auburn, you know, South Carolina, all these SEC schools. And all of a sudden he's, you know, listed 6'5 and running like a deer. And I'm trying to figure out why the hell he ended up at North Dakota State and found out early this week at the Combine that he was about, he had a growth spurt from about 5'9 to 6'1 in high school. So kind of just a, a late bloomer and a guy that, again, you know, 6'5 and can run or 6'4 can run, excuse me, measured in at 6'4 at the, at the Senior Bowl. And I mean, Put it simply, not a whole lot of guys that can do that. Not a whole lot of guys that can be that big and run that fast. And, uh, you know, he's pretty good on his um, intermediate routes. And one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people are going to uh, love about him too, and a lot of people, a lot of coaches are definitely in love, it's a guy loves and is a willing run blocker. I, I remember watching his film. I saw him spring, you know, at least two touchdowns, two long touchdowns, I should say, too, um, to just with his run blocking and his effort alone. I think there was one play where he blocked like three different guys down the field. So I think that'll fire anybody up. That's a, that's a wide receivers coach or even a fan. All right. I will take that one in mind and stash it for later. And then ask my friend Blake Jude about him, but gotcha. I, I will take your word on that one. Um, Josh Jacobs, is he, how, how do you feel about him still going with the Raiders? Cause I think his contract comes out. He can get extended at the end of this year. Uh, thoughts concerns interest on josh jacobs yeah so the raiders have to make a decision i believe uh sometime coming up on his fifth year option um he's going to be entering year four obviously in his contract this year i mean josh jacobs is one of those players where you know when he's on the field he's great and when he's healthy he's great you know he's definitely been a dynamic runner been one of the best running backs the raiders have had in a while the problem is he's just banged up and not really healthy quite a lot um, you know, he even started this year, even in the first few weeks was, uh, was hurt. I think he even missed week two, if I remember correctly. And he, he went into week one banged up just to kind of tell you, uh, kind of where he's at. And then when he got healthier, he started running a little bit faster, looked a little bit cleaner. Um, but again, you know, he's been hurt pretty much every year at some point in the year, um, since his rookie season. So that's kind of the, the thing with him is, you know, if you're going to pay the running back, which as the analytics and every math nerd will tell you not to do the guy's at least got to be on the field and available. And I mean, Josh Jacobs just hasn't proved that. So again, while I like the guy, while I think he's got an awesome story, while I think he's an awesome player, you know, I would be a little bit worried if the Raiders end up picking up his fifth year, fifth year option, just because again, the guy's got to be able to stay on the field, especially if you're not going to play a, a premium position, and you're going to play a pretty low value position like running back is. Well, that's all the questions I've got for you, Matt. I appreciate it. Uh, I hope you have, a wonderful day and a wonderful draft season and enjoy watching people run three cone <laughs> drills for the next few days. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Have a great day. You too.